what it comes down to is I don't, I don't want to create distractions for people to encounter Christ. There's enough distractions. There's enough things. There's enough reasons for people to be mad. You always hear, you know, when someone tells, you know, when someone finds out I'm a pastor, it's like, oh, I don't like the church. You know, they're full of uh, sinners and whatnot. Hi, I'm Phil, and you're listening to Drinks with the Pastor as part of the Imagine Church Ministry Network. Today we are joined by David Neal, a husband, pastor, and bike ride enthusiast. David is passionate about helping people come to the next step in their journey with Christ, and currently serves as a pastor in Hamilton County, helping a rural church in a quickly urbanizing area. You can usually find him going camping, hiking, or quoting movies. All right, hey, so we are joined today with uh, David Neal who I'm going to let introduce himself. Uh, I'd like to give them a chance to do that. So David, tell us who you are. What do you do? Uh, kind of just the story of David. Awesome. Hi, I'm David. And Judah is unfortunately going to be joining us at his snout right there. Uh, he's my pup. So if you hear heavy breathing, it could be me or the dog. Uh, I'm a pastor here in beautiful Noblesville, Indiana at Union United Methodist Church. Uh, it is a started in the 1840s so kind of in the process of church revitalization right now um, i've been here for four months uh it's been a great time i also am really involved at a, a school here in town uh, my wife caitlin works at the school so i've been helping out a lot with discipleship and uh, chapels over at that school so that's a little brief synopsis about me very cool how long have you been doing church work in general not just at this church but like so yeah. people get a kind of a time frame of david yes so i was born a young man <laughs> uh, I was, so i was uh have always been in the church my dad's a pastor uh he i think he's your boss last time i checked right it still is he, it okay still he's still is. your boss okay cool i can get you fired now have you seen that video where the it's the the worst kinds, kinds of pastors kids he's like, yes i have yeah. anyway I digress. Uh, so I've been involved in church my whole life uh, from a, in a lot of different roles, uh, from little snot that's annoying to trying to do my best to help out. Um, I've helped out children's ministry, youth ministry, uh, old people ministry, discipleship, preaching, AV, sound, uh, helping out, teaching classes, preaching. Um, as far as official roles, uh, I served at a church in Kokomo as the youth pastor and associate pastor. I served as you all uh, like to refer to the OG, Oak Grove, uh, served there for a little while. Uh, and then now I'm at Union, United Methodist Church. I also uh, helped with church planting when I was at seminary. Um, so a lot of different roles. I think I'm the textbook jack of all trades, master of none. Um, when I've been applying this, you know, I've applied to a couple of different jobs here and there. I'm like, what, what's your specialty? Like, what are you really good at? It's like, I'm really good at nothing and I'm decent at a lot of things. You're like Mario in every Nintendo game. <laughs> yes. Like Mario Tennis. Does he serve well? Meh. Nah. Does he return? Yeah. Meh. Meh. He's not yeah, fast, he's, but he just he's accelerates fine. quick, you know, whatever. Does it's the jack... curse of being an associate pastor. <laughs> Nobody ever finishes that sentence though. Jack of, jack of all trades, master of none, but it's something like, but still better than a master of none. Which is so, that TV show? No, I don't, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've known David for a while. Uh, he's uh, he is sort of the the stereotypical guy who knows how to do a lot of stuff in a church, and you're comfortable plugging him in and, and wherever. So, I'm really glad to have you on. Uh, somebody who um, has served in churches in rural areas is serving now. A church has been there for a long time. That's going through some revitalization. 
uh, has done youth, has done kids, has done camping, has done so many, so many interesting things. Uh, so just to hear kind of your experience, but for, for, for you, a question that I ask everybody, and, and it's been crazy because the year 2020 and 2021 have been so strange, but um, what's been the biggest surprise in your life in the last, like, you know, we'll say year, what's kind of yeah. the thing that's biggest thing? Uh, well, for me, uh, I've had a lot of uh, change of career during COVID. Um, I, hello, Gina. I left my job at St. Luke's in October of 2019, not knowing that a global pandemic would soon hit. Um, and then I never really intended to be uh, a supply pastor or anything like that. But when the position arose um, at Oak Grove, I really began to find a huge heart, like my heart really began to open up towards small rural congregations that um, are just trying to figure out what it means to continue to be a church um, and helping them to, to continue on to adapt and to overcome into the next generation. Um, I also made the joke early on, and I probably made it too, of, uh, I never thought that I would be a father-son televangelist team, but I remember when we, when we first switched to all online, I was like, oh, this, feel, this is giving me some weird feels, but it's been really interesting. And all of us have had to learn a lot about technology uh, and a lot of um, how to overcome that. Um, and I think continually for me, and, you know, this might be a good digression into what we might talk about is how, how hospitality looks in the modern era, how hospitality looks in a place where you can't give people hugs anymore, things like that. So uh, yeah. that's been a big learning curve. Yeah. So that's kind of the first thing I, I, I wanted to, to discuss with you, because um, one of the things that I, I say this in interviews when, you know, whoever I'm talking to is usually you can kind of get a feel for the pastor when you look at their bookshelf. Um, friends of mine who are Mr. Rogers on, on the pulpit, you know, they have a lot of pastoral care books, not a lot of preaching books. There's some pastors got a whole shelf like mine of a bunch of preaching books. I got others that are all about um, counseling, got all, you know, whatever it is, leadership, you can get a feel for it. And uh, you know, I think if I were to look at your bookshelf, if you had it put up, we would see a lot of like missional heart, outreach, hospitality, love sort of books, like how to reach the unchurched. Yeah. Right. Well, that's, so, and that's a, in seminary, that was my whole focus was right. on, on that. So, right. Yeah. So in your opinion of someone who that's a, their passion, then what, what, what is church hospitality? So like I would come at it and somebody might say, well, you know, you got cookies and coffee and someone warm handshake firm handshake really firm uh, but yes firm yes. but but for you what is what is the encompass what is church hospitality what's its purpose what what you know, outreach hospitality all those good things what is it not what exactly what does it look like but why do we do it yeah well i think so when i was thinking about this there was a story that really stuck out in my mind um, about camping ministry and i mean you you know very well what it looks like to be in camping ministry and I honestly think a huge part of camp is the concept, the notion of hospitality. So a huge portion of when we train our volunteers, when we train our staff, it's what do we do to help the students, the campers, to be able to have um, an experience where they're not distracted, where they're, where they're able to listen and learn uh, about God. And specifically, and I don't, I feel like maybe it was Amy Munn or um, some program director at Camp Adventure uh, when I had come in and volunteered 
really instilled in this, and this has stuck out to me since then. Um, so at Camp Adventure, for those of you who don't know, it's a junior high camp in northern Indiana and it, through the Methodist Church. And one of the, if you've ever done any ministry with junior hires, you know they're very easily distracted and you have to really work at being intentional in everything you do. And so this camp works where uh, you have a group of, of college-age students who live there for the whole summer and do work throughout the summer. Uh, and then you have churches come in to put on a week of camp. They have one big building where the whole, everything is done, lunch, chapels, all of that. And that's where, you know, that's the operating room. Like that's where people meet God for the first time. It's where lives are changed. And so the awkward thing with that building is you have the staff live in that same building. And so there's this, there's this um, tendency. It's like, it's my house. I want to do what I want to do. And if you've been living there for months on end, and then there's these randoms there, uh, you, you can begin to get un stopping thinking about the, the, the friends and neighbors who are visiting. And the most, uh, prof in many ways, profound way was there is a sliding grate uh, that covers up the kitchen. It's like a, um, a metal folding garage door, basically, that'll open and close to, to close off the kitchen. And they're very and, loud. And they're very loud. And so uh, typically the staff will enter the building through the kitchen and go into the back of the room to watch chapel and things like that. And I remember early on, someone telling me, hey, David, when you come into that back door to come into the kitchen, to then go into the chapel service, you need to not let that door slam. I'm like, why would I, that, why does that matter? There's a whole kitchen. It's not right into it. And the funny thing is when the door slams, the garage door would move and would make a noise, therefore distracting the students, keeping their eyes off the front of the stage to the back. And it's, it began to make me begin to think of what does it look like as people who are on our journey to Christ, but helping disciple people who are maybe not on the same step, what does it look like to put their needs first? And this whole notion of not slamming a door in order to not distract people so then they can be discipled, learning, growing, it really began to set this trajectory in my life of everything that we do are we thinking about it from the mindset of is this going to help or hurt and in theater terms it's you know front of stage back of stage you know when we're at the front of the stage we want things to look nice we want things to be set out and so there's nothing where people can question or ask or or be you know raising concerns the back of the house can look a lot different but how do we and it's not about it's not about lying or putting on a face but it's saying how can we best present that and so for me what it comes down to is I don't, I don't want to create distractions for people to encounter Christ. There's enough distractions. There's enough things. There's enough reasons for people to be mad. You always hear, you know, when someone tells, you know, when someone finds out I'm a pastor, it's like, Oh, I don't like the church. You know, they're full of uh, sinners and whatnot. And so there's always these reasons for people to, to say no to Christ. And so I don't want the temperature of the room to be a reason. I don't want the paint job in the lobby to be a reason. And so in many ways, the way that we set up our buildings, the way we set up our worship, the way we set up even our homes, uh, in many ways, create a hospitable environment that then can therefore be a welcoming, nurturing environment where people can be free of distraction and free of uh, putting up a fence, as it were. So what you're telling me 
is that hospitality is more than just doing it to make it look pretty. There's actually intentionality behind it. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, was faci- I was being facetious. Yes. So everyone listening is not yeah. like, wow, Phil's an idiot. Like, <laughs> Wait, um, there's something behind it. <laughs> yeah. There, so it, there's an intentionality. There should be reasons and choices that we make. Mm-hmm. And what is the ultimate deciding fact? What's the, for you, what's sort of the like, the answer to this question means that we are doing this more hospitably? Yeah. Uh, Again, a story I think I don't like to make myself the hero of the story, but you're good. Uh, <laughs> when uh, when Caitlin and I first got married, and we were in uh, housing at on campus at Asbury, we intentionally set up our living room. Maybe it wasn't the most comfortable for us, but we set it up in a way that would best warrant community and it would best facilitate uh, good dialogue. And so we put extra couches in our living room and we set it up in a way to where people would feel comfortable to the point of uh, every week we'd have like 20, 30 people watching a designated survivor, which wasn't that great of a show. Uh, I don't know. I want to offend anyone uh, watching designated survivor in our house. And it was, we saw this void of lack of community and it was through the, the, um, the gifting of hospitality that allowed uh, this to be filled and obviously you know you've been over to people's houses that aren't pristine and you here's the thing you can be hospitable without being uh, OCD clean freak type of thing it's a matter of uh, intentionality and decisions you make where you put the other person the other guest first before you put your own wants desires and needs and so this goes into all aspects of of church it goes into how do we do worship what do we preach about uh, how long do we preach it, the whole the whole run of it can be looked at through the eyes of hospitality in the sense of are we putting our, our neighbor ahead of ourselves are we living out the, the greatest commandments yeah is am i are, i'm going to try to put this into a sentence so we can remember it here but you know could somebody say is the welcome station being here putting my neighbor first or or myself first is the preaching length or the amount of songs we sing is it about what i want or is it about making my neighbor make sure they reach christ does that kind of summarize exactly so it's it's every decision is it putting people closer to christ awesome every decision so with that uh, my second question is kind of i'm gonna ask it in two parts and let you go for on it for a while uh first of all how could a church improve like they're asking this question, right? Um, what are some of those things churches can grasp easily to maybe improve uh, or discover the best ways to love their neighbors? And then secondly, right along with that, what do you think are some of the things that churches do that they think is hospitable, but maybe it's missed the mark? Like this is the, the church is always like, oh, we're going to do this, but it's like, no, rethink your ideas maybe about it. Wow. Those are very, very good questions. <laughs> Uh, so number one was say that number one again. Yeah. How would a church, how would how would a church improve? Right. So what's, how can they discover ways to be more hospitable? Um, you know, what are the, what are their steps? Like if it was like, okay, let's take a look at what we're doing. Yeah. How do they actually get better? Yeah. Uh, another anecdote I think is helpful. So if you were, you must be a pastor. Yeah. I literally, I, (laughs) I went to Caitlin's school the other day and I, told some story and the, I'm telling a story about telling a story. Anyway, the girl's like, you tell a lot of stories. It's like, well, I, I'm a professional storyteller. So, yeah. uh, 
it, this is this is a not an anecdote more of a anyway uh you invite people over to dinner okay you say hey uh joe and tina and bobby and whoever come on over for dinner okay when you invite someone over for dinner you don't expect them to bring the chicken nuggets you don't expect them to vacuum the floors you don't expect them to give you 20 bucks to pay for the drinks right you, you don't ask them to clean the dishes. You don't ask them to go clean the toilet after they use it. No, you, you are being a welcome host. So that same mentality that you would have if you were to invite people over to your house applies to what the church looks like. And so a frustrating thing I see, especially in small churches, is um, the problem is when you get to a small church, it feels a lot like family. You know, everyone knows everyone's business. Everyone knows everything. And when someone new comes in, we don't know what to do about that. And so you'll see uh, they'll bring the offering plate right up to the guest. You know, they'll, 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 they'll like, especially if they don't just pass the offering plate down, they'll just bring it right up to the guest or um, they'll ask them to stand up and tell them their name, or they'll say, you know, do you have any praise and prayer requests? And so it's not about it. You don't put them on the spot. You, you create this environment where they feel like they can, be a part of it without having to put in the work as it were and it's i don't want to the problem is you don't want them to stay in that place because when they stay in that place they become consumer christians instead of producer christians and the goal is to get us to all be producers in our faith um anyway so churches i think in many ways in some ways they need to get secret shoppers people to come in who are guests and see what it what it feels like and there are that you can pay for that kind of a, or, you know, a group to come in and they'll do the, the gas station test where they go to the local gas station and ask about the church. And that'll help you to know whether or not if that exists and they can come in and see, you know, did someone tell them not to sit here? Cause that's where Bobby Joe sits. Did someone offer them a cup of coffee or take them to the bathroom? Uh, I think for me, it was a really big blessing working in retail. I got to work at Starbucks and at REI. And the big thing for both of those is customer experience and in many ways hospitality is customer experience so instead of saying the bathroom's down that hall you you walk them down the hall and instead of saying uh children's ministries that way you walk them to children's ministry and so like at rei they would say uh, if someone's asking for a backpack and they're in the other half of the store even though your zone is maybe the bikes you still walk them to the backpacks and so it applies to the church is when you have people who come in who don't necessarily know something it sounds bad. You almost treat it like whenever I, especially it's easy to tell in a church of 20 when there's someone new. So I will oftentimes over explain communion. So we had someone uh, visit us at church who I knew um, was uh, of a different faith. And so I over explained communion and I talked about it being an open table and I over explained what it meant. And it wasn't, and I didn't stick it out. Like I didn't say, Oh, this is for you who doesn't normally come here. But it's, and then I, sh- I needed to learn like, well, maybe every time act that way, like every time, every Sunday over communicate because people need to be reminded of stuff. That's the reason we have hymns and songs and memory verses is we need to be reminded of stuff. And so there's no shame to remember why we do communion every time we do communion. And so that's a big thing. Churches just need to come at it from, again, since I studied missions, the, st- the, perspective of a missiologist or an anthropologist um if uh, a good thing to do is like if you were 
if an alien came to your church, what would it feel like? What would they experience? What would they take away? Would they be weirded out? Would they understand it? Does, could, could they grasp the concept? And so, you know, not using too many Christianese words and good signage and um, a good natural flow and all this kind of stuff is going to eliminate uh, blockades and barriers uh, as people progress through uh, the program. And so, uh, yeah, that's just a good exercise of put yourself into the mindset of a, of a space alien. What would, it, what would it be like to be in a worship service? And then a, going on to the next question is, uh, where, where do they find, but what was it where we find fault or? Yeah. Just kind of like, what's the thing, you know, if you were to walk into a majority of churches, you'd go, I mean, this is the first issue that you see in most churches and, it, and it's an easy one to fix. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it's hard, you know, depending on the size and stuff like that, but, um, for some reason, a big one a lot of churches struggle with is they outsource uh, missions and uh, being doing ministry and stuff like that. We've um, ever since we've had people like you and me, Phil, professional uh, holy guys, as it were, we've felt like we needed we could outsource the work of the gospel. So not only you know do we have pastors to do you know, the, the, the elements and things like that. And to do the sermon, we have also outsourced loving our neighbor and uh, being Christians on, on mission. And so you'll go into churches and say, Hey, uh, we just gave $10,000 to Haiti. It's like, well, yes, that's good. But you know, are you actually doing ministry? Like, are you, when you go to Walmart, are you treating the um, cash register or the cashier like a person? Are you talking to them? I went to I went to Panda Express yesterday, and the lady I I drive up no joke I drive up lady just I say hey how are you doing <laughs> do you, what do you what do you want I was like I I'm so sorry I didn't I didn't I didn't know I wasn't like I didn't say anything she just starts crying to me and at a different time in my life I would have just drove on but it to me it's like I I need to play pray for this lady so I was like in the driveway through Panda Express. 10 cars behind me and I'm like, Hey, you know, praying for, for Amanda. And so, you know, helping the church to see that we don't outsource our, our mission and ministry. And it sounds like, Oh, that doesn't deal with hospitality. But again, I think hospitality boils down to putting others above yourself. And so if you really love Jesus, like you want other people to experience the hope and joy you found in Jesus. And so you, you look for opportunities to do that. And that's where the, it's the love of God. It creates this heart of wanting to give people an experience with God. And that is through the heart of hospitality. And so not outsourcing our ministry, not saying we, you know, give money to the Billy Graham association. Like, are you actually getting out into your community? Do, do you know your neighbors? Are you doing the work in your community? Um, and then on the other hand, uh, in churches, I think, we can easily, I, I know I'm guilty of this, is we lose sight of the mess, okay? You, if you're in a, you can, you can basically really easily stop seeing what's wrong. And so this is someone, I think it was maybe, maybe it was Mitch or it was Scott Patterson, Mitch Norwood or Scott Patterson or someone like that told me, uh, or maybe it was my dad, when you start a new church, so let's say you just got a new job at a new church, the very first day you're there, write down everything you see physically um, 
there's a bunch of clutter in the library and uh, there's no signage and the bathroom needs a new paint job and this and this and this, because as time goes on, you're going to even stop seeing that. Mm -hmm. So like in my church, there's a few things I want to change and I had to write it down because you don't want to change it right away because you want to make sure the church knows that you care about them and appreciate them. But there are certain things in my church that as if a guest were to come in, would kind of be uncomfortable or awkward. And so how do we, you know, remembering the things that, okay, obviously like we don't need to have a big old box of styrofoam cups right in the hallway as you walk in. So writing down those things and remembering as you basically gain permission and trust to change those things when you can and writing it down so you don't forget what you see when you walk in. Because every time we walk into a room, we initially make an assessment. You know, you go to someone's house for the first time, you go to a, a coffee shop for the first time, your brain is naturally doing the process of like a missiologist or an anthropologist of like, okay, what does this mean? What is going on? Like, where can I sit? Is it okay to sit here? Is it okay to be on my phone? No, it's not okay to be on my phone. You're looking for the bathroom. You're, you know, if you're like me, maybe you, anytime you walk into a new space, your brain is trying to figure out where, how to classify all this new information. And so we can really use that because we forget what it's like to be new. And that's yeah. what it comes down to. Couple, two things. One. Yes, sir. You didn't uh, ask me what I'm drinking. It's fine. What is it? Okay. It's iced coffee made with an AeroPress. Wow. Wow. Out wow. of a, out of a, uh, I didn't pay for this name. Somebody worked one. at a coffee shop. Is what. <laughs> uh, two things. One in there, what I'm hearing and, uh, and maybe, maybe I'm not hearing it, but I think it's right. Um, this is not the job of just the guy wearing the collars and the robes right no, sir no sir so pastors should work with their congregations yep and explain this stuff to them this is hospitality this is this is what it looks like and it's not just my job to welcome people here but this is our job this is right. the call for all people right and, uh, and, and people it, are going to have more of a gifting and inclination towards absolutely it. uh but everyone needs to be aware of it so yeah and the second thing is um, you said it and you, then you kind of said it there again, one looking at stuff with as fresh eyes as you can, um, is, is good. You mentioned secret shoppers, which I have been a secret shopper before. Oh, that's a good story. You should do uh, that in the podcast. Talk yeah, about that. Yeah. Well, um, you know, and you don't have to even, you know, you said you can hire people to do it. Just if you have pastor friends that aren't a part of your church or whatever, or people that have just never been in there have them come secretly and do it. Mm -hmm. um, the amazing things is what people notice that, that you've said you've grown blind to. Like, like I always think, funny story today. Um, I had to go to Bath and Body Works to buy soap. And uh, this will make sense in a second, I promise. I'm a pastor too, I don't, so I don't want it story. to. I don't want it to make sense. <laughs> Just tell me a, about your shopping trip. <laughs> here comes a story. Uh, and so I'm holding Charlie and they had like, I had to get, uh, some soap and of course it's bath and body Works. so if you like buy seven million you get one free or whatever it is and so it was like buy three get one free or something so i picked up three things and i would go up there and she said you get one free and i said that's right i don't know how to count and so i go back and i'm like you know i could use a new clone and they had a new scent and so i pick it up to try to smell it right and so i hold it like this and i sniff on it and i can't i can't smell it and so I, you know, I'm, I'm smart and stuff. 
And so I go, what I'll do is I'll just push it a little bit just to like open the passageway a little Uh so I can get the effervescence. Well, it's a very sensitive little click on top. So I had it here. I ended up spraying cologne up into my nose, right? Oh no. And so for a while, all I could smell was the clone. Ocean? I don't know what it was. It was something horrible. I use there's black pepper in it, I think. So it's basically like maced myself as good (laughs) Um, so for a while all i could smell was that smell but you know it's been an hour or two and i can't smell it anymore and but my wife came home and she said your mustache reeks (laughs) but i can't um, i can't smell it yeah because i've grown blind to the smell yep and that's what happens to us in churches uh, mm-hmm. And us everywhere as we go blind to it. There's a hole, not a hole. There's like a paint that's peeled off the wall down in our lobby that we need to patch. And it's been there for a while. And I literally didn't notice it till someone on Sunday said, that's still not patched. And I was like, oh, shoot, that still isn't patched. Yeah. <laughs> like, you yeah. just completely grown up. And so having friends or other pastors come in with fresh eyes and pretend for a Sunday and, you know, who welcomes them? How were they welcomed? Where were they mm-hmm. told to sit? Yeah. Um, et cetera, well, et cetera. And, and you know, I, I was, I'm reminded of even, and maybe, you know, if you're in a more contemporary church, this doesn't apply, but, um, for those of you who are in, uh, old churches like me, even the way that our sanctuary is set up, it communicates a message of hospitality. So most older churches have a kneeling rail or a prayer rail or, mm-hmm. or something like that. And it all goes back to the Old Testament in the sense of the separation between the people of God and the ministers of God. And so, you know, there's this, there's this again, going to an anthropology standpoint of you've got the, the, sadly, you have the separation of the sacred and the profane. So you have your pastors wearing clerical robes and things like that. And you have the, they're on an elevated platform and they wear special clothes and there's a, a fence between you and the people. And so even the way that our sanctuaries are set up communicate a message of, I'd say, anti-hospitality mm-hmm. to say, um, hey, this dude's special or this lady's special because they wear a, a robe and they've got the special clothing and they're, you know, two feet higher up than me. And so we're supposed to look up to them and we're not really supposed to be up on the stage. And in case I forgot, I don't know, maybe I forgot, I think after Jesus died, the the veil was torn in two. I don't, I don't know. I could be crazy. <laughs> uh, and so I think the problem is that whole mindset going back to the, the temple has somehow continued on in the building of our sanctuaries for the last 200, 300, 400 years where we have, we continue to have this separation. And so for me, what I like to do is go down onto the floor and um, you can't necessarily always change the architecture but you can intentionally be on the level of the people and invite the people up onto the stage to do prayer time or to to and so you you communicate this message of it's no longer the separation of the sacred and the profane but it's uh we're all on an even playing field and that again goes to this perspective of 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 hospitality yeah and even if you're in a tradition of you know i i think like the old school looking wesleyan you know churches where there's like a spiral staircase to the preaching platform right Mm -hmm. Um, even if that's in your tradition and that's like a part of it just being present after service like a normal human and greeting don't go hide in your study yeah right i mean there's there's so much that says i know i stand up here to deliver god's word but it's god's word being elevated not me yes yeah yep it's not me it's you know um i i really dig that um 
the whole the whole notion just i think it it's just so human to just you know cloister or um just be blind to those things yeah yeah probably uh but you know to be blind to some of those things Mm -hmm. and so just having just taking a fresh look um and i loved what you said where secret shoppers ask people like at gas stations what they know about the church or where it is it'll tell you a lot it it will tell you a lot about what the place you're in sees and thinks about your ministry i've talked to other methodist pastors in hamilton county that have not heard of my church Uh, and so you know, some of us are going to have a lot more an uphill battle. Um, but then you have, I was at a church that had a really negative PR crisis because of some bad moves they made in the eighties. And so I don't know if it's better to not be known or to be right. known negatively. So that's the same. There's no such thing as bad press, you know, but yeah. there is, but there is. Yeah, I was um, going to say, kicking so, a kid out of your church for having AIDS, that's probably not. <laughs> yes. That is a story we, you can look up about david one of david's old churches um in the 80s not he wasn't involved with it everyone Mm-mm. listening i was dead. um he you were not alive well <laughs> you were on you were not born yet yeah there you go you were a few years away uh how do you uh stay up to date or learn like if you had to tell a pastor right now they're like but how do i know more about this hospitality thing david uh, yeah how what would you, what would you like direct them to to maybe learn research read write uh watch videos, you know, kind of where, where could someone go to catch more about this? Uh, so one of my professors at Asbury, uh, Dr. Christine Pohl, uh, she's the gold standard on the ethics of, of Christian hospitality. Um, anything that she has written is going to be life-changing in regards to hospitality. Uh, so check out any of her books or sermons or things like that. Uh, she has a whole class you can take on the ethics of hospitality. Um, She's not teaching anymore, unfortunately. She's retired, but you can still <clears throat> glean from her knowledge through books. Um, a lot of different, I mean, for me, I'm always trying to uh, continue to challenge myself. So podcasts, sermons, uh, books, the whole nine yards, trying to find people who are doing a better job than me is always, a, it's always good. So um, trying to always think, is this essential for for being a follower of Christ, is this essential for the church? Does this fit the mission and vision of the church? Either the church, like the local church or the big church, is this fitting the mission and vision of the church? If so, let's keep doing it. Let's do it to the best. If not, maybe, you know, reassess. Um, so I listened to, uh, I listened to a lot of Ed Stetzer. I, I know he's not in my, my uh, same uh, background, but um, especially since he is in the, you know, church planting, revitalization, multiplication thing, uh, a lot of his stuff really can be very helpful uh, through, through tools and resources of um, how to do this. Because, I mean, honestly, you could almost think about it from the perspective of even a well-established church can take and glean from church planting, multiplication, and revitalization practices because we need to continue to be growing. The, 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 the church is not supposed to stagnate it is always to be taking that next step forward and so in in the current day the multiplication and revitalization and planting is um really popular and so we can be gleaming knowledge from them and and, and learning from those uh, areas on how best practices for the church and obviously you know you may not always theologically agree with everything but there are definitely practices and tendencies you can learn um 
from that that vein yeah all right we we answered a few of these in that kind of longer section in the middle which was awesome because it was great uh i guess i always do kind of this last question uh and it's i also i call it just the last word too so you get to say the last thing until i say goodbye so technically i have the last word but you get the last word that's like profound in, in some capacity i don't know what, goodbye can be profound it could be what do i not know enough to not what did i not know enough about to let me actually ask this question the way that it's written and not how i'm trying to make it sound which is not what it is at all what should I have asked you that I didn't know enough to ask? Sort of what's your last word about hospitality that you want to say, despite the fact I wouldn't have even known to talk about it? Um, I think, and I kind of briefly had told you this was something I'm interested in when we were talking about subjects, is the whole concept, and I even touched on it, this, the concept of sacramental authority um and the authority of the pastor and that's something i've thought a lot about and so for me in 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 brief it's the whole concept of who has the rights and privileges to do communion to do baptism marriages funerals all of that and i think in many ways that the messages we communicate through who we allow to do that affect our views of hospitality because i think if we put too much onus, power, prestige on one individual, we view them as the hero. We view them as the as the 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 main character in the story. And so, when we have to ask permission or 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 forgiveness for communions and things like that, we're putting too much power into the hands of of a, of a specific individual. And so. I think in many ways we need to understand, and I'm, this is nothing new, but we need to continue to, to understand that it is the priesthood of all believers, that we, when we um, become a Christian and we're growing and being discipled and learning, um, we share the same responsibility as all of the Christians that came before us. And so, again, we have different giftings. There are some people who have not an ounce of hospitality in them. Like for me, I've, I've had to, um, I've been asked to go and help uh, counsel a few students at the school that I keep mentioning. And I am not a counselor by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but uh, I'm able to at least listen and help them out and process them. And so for me, I think what it comes down to is, are we actively trying? Are we, and just like with our faith, are we trying to take steps forward, trying to learn, trying to grow, trying to be more and more like Christ? Or are we being apathetic and lethargic in our faith? And that's, that's what discipleship, that's what it, leading into hospitality is. It, good hospitality doesn't happen naturally. It takes intentional steps forward and it takes intentional communication from the pulpit. It takes intentional communication from Bible studies, from leaders, from uh, folks with authority in the church to, to help the whole church understand our whole mission and vision is done through the lens of hospitality. Everything that the church is, is doing, all of our processes and procedures and all of that are, are coming through the lens of hospitality. Hopefully, if we're an outwardly focused church, it's coming from the perspective of how do we love our neighbor well? And so the whole, the whole realm of, 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 of fulfilling the great commission needs to be looked at through the lens of are we, because that's the thing, Jesus 
Jesus was a master at hospitality. When, when people were hungry, he gave them food. He made sure people were comfortable. He, he took care of the basic needs so that the people could be, uh, could better listen. So he, you know, he stood up to, or he stood up to preach like in the Sermon on the Mount, people were sitting when normally it was kind of the reverse and things like that. And so he, he created experiences and, and uh, dynamics where people could set aside their, their weights and their, their, their distractions so that they could focus in. And so for us, everything that we do needs to be looked at through the lens of mission and vision of the church through the means of hospitality, through the means of putting our neighbor, the one who's not yet a part of us first. So that awesome. would be my thing. David, thank you so much. Uh, I, I had a blast. I had so, a great time, but you didn't tell me what you're drinking. Are you not uh, drinking? You're looking for a cup? Yeah, I don't have one. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> no, but it's, it's great, man. Uh, and we'll hope to see you soon. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you. We'll see you. That's it for this episode of Drinks with a Pastor as part of the Imagine Church Ministry Network. Make sure that you subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date with all of our episodes, as well as check out our YouTube channel for other instructional videos and church tours so that we can continue to imagine church ministry together.